Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond Rich. How are we doing? Jordan, I think we're way past the guided meditation thing. Uh, <laughs> that's that's not going to help anybody, uh, but maybe it's just a to a punching bag maybe we could we could randomly we could send out uh punching bags to our listeners and they could just take out their frustration in the in the garage or something um uh, wow um we got a lot to talk about here jordan and um i want to get your thoughts on this because you were there in in the room in the in the press box um and then in the interview rooms i was listening to some of sean mcveigh's comments and reading more of them and I don't want to speak out of turn here, but I got a, a different sense from him. Um, not a sense of resignation. I don't want to say that not a sense of, of giving up by any means, but almost a sense of just another level of frustration of almost like, what do we do here? Um, he's, I I've seen him after losses be angry I've seen him be defiant at times as like, we're going to take this as fuel and come back stronger. And I just got a little bit of a different sense from him yesterday. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because you saw it firsthand. Um, is it a different feeling right now than at other points of this season or even last season or the year before? Well, I think things are feeling very precarious because this was supposed to be the game where they came back and kick the door down. I mean, they've played very well against Tampa Bay, particularly against Tampa Bay's defense, um, regardless of some of the tumultuous nature of the, of these games over the last couple outings, you know, they've played quite well against this matchup and their defense has played quite well against Tom Brady and, and the bucks. And this sort of had the sense of, you know, two sort of cornered wounded teams that are trying to claw and scratch their way out. And then it was like a lot of no fight happened. You know, it was like a lot of nothing. You you thought, okay, they're going to come out and, and be aggressive and move the line. Of, you know, I, I think it's a little much to say you expected them to really, truly move the line of scrimmage consistently considering what they're doing, but like, mm-hmm. or what they're dealing with injury wise, but like you expected more fire you expected. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself in the press box, and I've had I've thought about this a lot um, throughout the course of last night and today. We're recording this on Monday afternoon, shortly after Sean McVay's post um, post travel uh, press conference, the Monday that he usually has. I've been thinking about how last year I'm sitting there, and Matthew Stafford gets the ball back in his hands, and there's a minute left ish. And you think to yourself, 
anything could happen right now. Right. Anything incredible and extraordinary could happen right now. And on the converse, you're sitting there. I'm sitting in the same seat in that press box. Right. Literally. On, on Sunday night. And mm -hmm. I'm looking down and the defense has just made a stop and gotten the ball back on downs and they're off the field and there's a minute left. Matthew Stafford and the Rams offense have the ball back and they need 10 yards to ice the game. And I have none of that same sense mm -hmm. of um, almost like that wonder of like anything might be possible, you know, when that hair on the back of your neck just raises ever so slightly and you think something incredible might be about to happen. I felt none of that, none of that life or zeal. And I think that's, yeah. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I almost feel like that's some of what Sean McVay was also processing as well. It, it was almost like, like it. you're watching it happen from like underwater or something. Like yeah. all the sound is deadened. All the feeling is deadened. You're, you're, you're numb almost watching this unfold if you're him and if you're them and, and it feels so um, off and discombobulated and there's, there's a lot of issues with this Rams team and we've known that, but um, you always thought, okay, these guys could, can figure this out. Mm -hmm. And what I saw from this offense specifically um, we'll get to the whole game in general, but from this offense specifically, I mean, I don't even know where you turn you're floundering. Right. That, I, that's the issue to me. And I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about Sean and I mean, throughout his tenure here, you can say he he's kind of he's a fixer, right? Like he's always tinkering. He's always looking to uh, change things. And it, it almost feels like you reach the point where it's like you, it, this is this just a salvage job right now? I mean, there's so many things that are that are going wrong. I don't even know where you would start. And I don't mean that to sound like a hot take, but I mean, there, there's so many things that I just, even if you fixed one thing, even if you fixed two things, I'm not even sure that it would get you even close to where you need, where you need to be. Um, if you're, if you're Sean McVay and the Rams and, and we're going to break down the offense and we're also going to talk about what happened at the end with the defense and, and putting that in the correct context of the entire game which is something that we always try to do but you know Jordan I mean you, you look and I, I I think the common denominator in all of this that we can look at is offensive line right and we've mm -hmm. talked about the ad nauseum every week we come on here and talk about what's going on with the offensive line what are the injuries what can they do can they can they bring in guys are they going to get guys healthy it it does seem to be the one common denominator in terms of can they get the run game going can they give Matthew Stafford the protection that he needs uh can they get some consistency among that five-man unit and it's just it's not happening and it's only getting worse because every week there's some other complication that that comes along. Alaric Jackson goes out early in this game, you know, the, messes the whole thing up again. Um, so, Jordan, I know this was a big topic of discussion. So let's start here because, like you said, you just got off the call uh, that that Sean McVay does on on uh, Mondays, and he had also said after the game that they would look at different things. You know, obviously he's going to be trying everything that he can do. So. Jordan, let's do it again. Uh, our it seems like our weekly segment here talking about this this particular subject. But what can they do with this offensive line? Let's just lay it bare. Not is no, no, not to to put it all on one person. Bobby Evans had a really really tough game right. uh, at at left guard, and that's not it's nothing personal. Bobby Evans is a great guy. He had a bad game, um, and and is a big part of their problem in the, in that game. Not the only problem probably the biggest problem. 
So what what can they do here? Again, reasonably, realistically with what they've got here, I know you've been thinking about this. I know you've been asking about it. What can they realistically do at that position now? Yeah, Bobby Evans gave up three sacks and they really were uh, down and distance killers. They set up some really long second and third downs and, uh, you know, which obviously lead to three and outs. And it just was not a good situation. Long term, we talked about this even before roster cuts happened. Bobby Evans was playing, you know, more so with the, you know, the uh, the third team or the scout team over on the far fields and training camp. And he's a guy who, because of his background as a tackle, you got the feeling that this is a guy who you're going to be seeing maybe in those extra tackle blocking packages, somebody who they could long-term maybe convert to that sort of faux hybrid tight end type player in some of the heavier personnel and the blocking. And you could sort of see that type of vision through camp and through the spring and all of that. Now, a lot of these guys, you're not expecting to have this catastrophe along the offensive line. So I could argue that, I mean, he played very poorly, but I could also argue that he's sort of set up to fail in that regard. Like if he's your left guard, Right. You're just, it's just not set. You're just not setting anyone up for success. Your quarterback, you're not setting, but then you beg the question, okay, who is it going to be now? I have only seen Ode Abushi play on the right side. Okay. I know Matt Skora has played on the left side and that could be someone as a sort of a stopgap to hold them over, um, you know, as they kind of get a couple of guys back over the next couple of weeks or hope to get a couple of guys back over the next couple of weeks. I've only seen Ode play on the right side. Ode and Matsura got into the Rams building um, a matter of maybe a month, a month ago, month and a half. And I can't emphasize enough, like how important the language of this offensive line is. And so you're kind of looking at this, this is my sense on the situation. You're kind of looking at, okay, whenever you ask the staff previous to this year and all the injury injury catastrophes that they had, you've asked them about Bobby Evans. They've responded, Bobby Evans has played a lot of football for us. To me, that translates directly into, he knows our language on the line. He knows the calls. So you're seeing him, especially when they're on a silent count, you're seeing him and Matthew Stafford communicating back and forth. He's turned around and motioning back and forth to Matthew Stafford, you're seeing some of that interior OL center guard communication um, that's really, really crucial. And to me, I would imagine maybe one of the only reasons why he's out there is the mental side of it, where he's helping to communicate the calls and the responsibilities. Now, this is not something that they will ever confirm publicly or say on the record or, you know, I'm not necessarily sourcing this. This is something that I, through my own watching this team for years and my own football knowledge, could sort of ascertain here. And it sometimes the simple answer is the correct one because physically he is not holding up for what they need from a left guard. And he's a tackle, by the way. And right. so physically, it's not working, but mentally I would think because they're still onboarding a couple of guys into their actual language, which is very complex and difficult. And they've had so much rearranging. It's like, okay, you either change the length, the entire, like you either onboard these guys in and sort of maybe make do with what you have at left guard for right now, which did not work, but you sort of make do with that. And a guy who knows 
the calls and all this while you're working through this, or you completely change your entire language for multiple people, including your running backs, which already has been a nightmare unto itself. So to me, it was almost like you're picking the lesser of the catastrophes. And it's just so happened that it was a pretty bad one um, on Sunday night. And I got to say, I do want to say, cause I know we're, we're going to talk about the football side, but I do want to say Bobby Evans, as, as awful as he played, you know, they, the way that they ran a lot of times on, especially in road games, the way that they run the locker room is the coach will be a little bit delayed. And then you go in and you kind of, maybe you get a player or two and then they'll put the coach at the podium in another room. So then you're out of the locker room. And generally that's sort of a universal PR tool for, allowing guys to get out of the locker room if they don't want to do media or anything, or if maybe it was a really bad day or, or whatever. And this was the case that happened on Sunday night, but I walked back into the room after Sean McVay went, I walked back into the locker room and Bobby Evans was sitting there and he, I asked him if he had some time to talk and he did. And he sat there and he took full responsibility for all, for the issues that the line had on Sunday night. And he was, it's hard to even talk it, it, because when I see people get upset, I get upset. Um, it's just a natural reaction. He was distraught because he really cares about his teammates and the defensive players who the offense just kept consistently letting down with their three and outs on the backs of defensive stops the entire night. He sits with all those guys in Thousand Oaks in the locker room where it's divided into different sections. And he's with all the defensive guys and he's pals with them and everybody really likes him as a person. And I know we don't factor that into the game performance, but just overall contextually, you guys, he sat there the entire time. He stayed in that locker room. If anyone had a question for him, or he he was there and available to own up to the issues that that line had. So I really respect the hell out of him for that. And I also think that it can be true that they cannot continue to keep him there. So when I asked Sean McVay today, Monday, I asked him, first of all, I asked him Sunday night if he was comfortable with keeping the line as, as if they needed to make some changes. And he's, he's like, no, not comfortable with how things are. And then Today, Monday, I asked him, you know, are you evaluating position changes on the interior offensive line, especially on that left side? And he indicated that, yes, more changes are coming. So this would mean that the Rams would be facing their ninth different starting alignment potentially in nine games. Um, and and frankly, Rich, you ask me, you know, who could it be? And and that's a that's a great question. Um, like I said, Matt Skura. I think can play left guard. He's played left guard in the past. Um, I don't know if Abushi is more comfortable on the left or the right side. If you're thinking about translating the language of some of those calls, it, it was pretty clear whose responsibility that was. And so it's, I think will be based on who's com- most comfortable with the language. And another thing is I, you know, I would have liked to check on, you know, injured reserve guys and, um, guys who are making progress, not eligible to come back yet. David Edwards and Coleman Shelton, not necessarily eligible to come back yet this week, but in terms of their progress and how early in that IR window, they can maybe potentially set their sights on a return. So you're not looking at sort of stopgap replacements. 
Unfortunately, the way that these Zoom calls are structured, um, I got a few questions in about pertinent situations, including some of the defensive comments and emotions that we're going to talk about later in this podcast, Um, the interior offensive line, Bobby Evans, um, and if any changes are coming there. Um, Later in the Zoom press conference, I put my hand up again because I wanted to check on these guys. Um, and, and their potential return, specifically David Edwards and Coleman Shelton. And I was informed that we would not have time to come back around um, after I had already asked a few questions. So um, timing, uh, probably pretty poor, I would guess, on my end there. But um, I don't have an answer for you guys yet in that regard. Um, wasn't for lack of trying. Yes, definitely. No, that's true. Um, here's the thing, Jordan. I just end this to 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 circle back like. These are important things to talk about, and the answers are interesting. I'm just not sure that it's going to make a big difference at this point. And that's, I think that's the most, if you're, if you're a Rams fan, that's the most discouraging thing is I'm not even sure that they could piece together what they need right now. And even if they did along the offensive line, I'm not entirely sure that solves the run game problem. And even if it did solve part of the run game problem, I'm not entirely sure that helps solve the pass game problem and I guess that's what I'm getting at here and I'm not trying to drive Rams fans deeper into their angst but I I just you know halfway through the season now I don't know Jordan I mean do you see a path here do you see a path to take what they have on the field what they could potentially have available in the coming weeks and turn this thing around like am I am I just being Dr. You know, doom here or like is is this is this something that they could even realistically do at this point of the season? Well, I think they're playing bad football, particularly on the offensive side, and I think it's leaking into every other thing that they're doing. Um, when you can't sustain drives on the offensive side, when you're constantly going three and out, you know, I found a stat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was running a search query in our analytics system, True Media through the game just to kind of see how the numbers were changing and and what was happening. And um, the Rams are pretty much on par with where they had been previously in that, you know, when the defense forces a three and out or a turnover on downs um, or forces something like a missed field goal, or in this case, a blocked field goal, um, the Rams offense is responding to that defensive stop by going three and out on the other side at a nearly a 40% rate, um, which is extraordinarily high, not just um, in the context of the rest of the league in general. It is um, only six other teams are worse than they are in that regard. Um, and their teams with like well, the Rams have a bad record, but like their team, <laughs> their teams where you, you'd expect them to be there, right? You wouldn't right. expect that. My, my point is the context is you wouldn't expect a Sean McVay led team, a team that ha- that has, yes, a ton of turnover on the offensive side in terms of assistant coaches and always it seems to be going through some sort of attrition in that regard, but has Jay Gruden apparently working remotely consulting has, you know, a bunch of different assistant offensive coaches who are all contributing, um, has a, a new offensive coordinator who Sean McVay essentially handpicked, um, who has, you know, all of these types of things where you're sitting there and you're thinking you, you always have the caveat, the offensive line, it has been atrocious and they they've been in catastrophe after catastrophe, 
But in terms of that level of an inability to sustain drives and an inability to play complementary football at that level, um, it's it's really bad. And actually, um, Troy Hill was talking to media this afternoon. Shout out to Troy for making himself available. Alan Robinson did as well. Um, you know, like I said, but like I said in my column, a bunch of players uh, stuck around through that sort of uh, stutter or staggered. Uh, staggered release period post game. A bunch of players stuck around to share their thoughts and and to really, it's not a fun thing for anybody to be in that situation, especially not the players. And I have a lot of empathy and respect for that. Um, they, but they stuck around and they were available. And um, you know, it, it's Troy Hill today, Monday, brought up. It feels a lot. You know, people were asking sort of about that lack of complimentary football. And he mentioned that, you know, that, that sense of going back on the field, even late in the game after making a big stop and then immediately having that feeling of, okay, or we're just going to have to go right back on the field again, that Jalen Ramsey alluded to in some of his um, more explosive comments on Sunday night. Um, Troy was like, we've been through this before in 2020. And to me, mm-hmm. that was really striking. It was an offhand yeah. comment and it wasn't, he didn't intend it as a mean spirited comment at all, but that was the year before some major, major changes happened right. to this offense. Right. And so when you go back to your first question, Rich, that was the year when the, the Rams offense was ranked something like number 28th or 27th and in, in points per game, they were, their EPA was terrible. They were um, problems that they had kept compounding. You could feel certain players, Jared Goff included, sort of crumbling in on himself mentally because he started being so fearful of making mistakes within the context of the environment that he was in. Um, and then that le- leads to more mistakes and and the frustrations escalate. And, and all of a sudden, this these massive changes take place through this offseason. And when you ask me this first question about where Sean McVay's at or where I think he's at, it's like, it feels a lot to me, uh, and this must be what it feels like in person, because in 2020, we're on Zoom, like quite right. literally separated from all of these people. Right. And now you're feeling what it feels like up close right before some, you know, some major changes take place. And, and I'm not saying at quarterback or anything like that, but right. Right. man, Sean said it himself Sunday. I mean, something's got to give, dude. Yeah, it just doesn't feel and it's it's not to negate the injuries at all. Um, but it, like I and I, I treated it last night, it just something something else is going on there. Like it just you 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 can look at injuries and, and every team has injuries and the, the injuries that the Rams have had are certainly significant, but it's just the the, the wires, the wires are not connecting there. Um and and it does feel a lot like 2020. I hadn't thought about that until you relayed that Troy Hill quote to me. But uh boy, unfortunately for the Rams, I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah, Troy always has a way of just like being super honest without being mean spirited or negative. Yes. Um and getting right to the heart of the matter in in some cases. Um I wish I could do that in my speaking or writing because <laughs> I tend to ramble um, and as some people have recently shared with me, uh, write too long of sentences. So apologies on all of your eyeballs for that. Um, <laughs> I know I'm so rude of me. Um, so, but, but I really think like, it's really interesting to think about all of this because the Rams Super Bowl team was a team constructed and born of catalyst, right? They made these 
major changes. And they did so in the way that they were team building and the way that they constructed their deep, they reconstructed their defense in the way that they reconstructed their offense, ultimately behind these trades that they made in the way that they caused this sort of ripple effect. We talked about this last week with the trade deadline, they created like this over-efficient or they helped create, I won't, I won't be, you know, give them enough to say that they were the only reason, but they helped move forward or propel this sort of highly efficient market where everybody is is you know in these picks for players trades and teams that were like the Rams that were in them before have less necessarily immediate capital to work with because they were the ones who got the ball rolling in the first place and you're seeing this across the league now the Rams are kind of in a hell of their own creation I said this last time Rich but I think it goes beyond this trade deadline stuff because you see the catalyst that they forced um, you know, on, on the, um, the team building side in terms of going to get the quarterback that they wanted and building the super team that they wanted and how they balanced the ecosystem in that regard. But then you see things like how they changed their defense. And three years later, that defense is being played by about half the league. Hmm. And the result of that is that passing is down. And hmm. now this, this league has turned into a defense and run game league the teams that can run the ball extremely well, despite the fact that for the last five to seven years, running backs have been devalued essentially at their position. Teams that can run the ball really, really well and pick up those yards in front of some of these tight fronts and some of these, these boxes that, that other teams are running. um, And these sort of like the spacing that teams are, are running now because they're playing this defense that sort of became in vogue in 2020 when Sean McVay and Brandon Staley troubleshot each other and in practice um now teams that can effectively run the ball and also have quarterbacks who can present a threat in the run game they are the most effective against this type of defense and as a result you're seeing passing especially some of the like um you know tenured longtime known passers in this game are all having like awful years yeah and then the rams all of a sudden wake up and find themselves without the very thing that they should have predicted they needed in, in that being a run game and a really solid offensive line, because they are the ones that helped force this, all of this change in the first place. So it's like, that's what I'm saying. They're in a hell of their own creation. It's, and to me, it's part of what makes football wonderful. And I know Rams fans aren't going to want to hear that right now, but it's that constant. There's, there's never an end point. There's never an end point where we're going to say, Okay, everything that's been tried in football has been tried. Now we're just going to play it out the rest of the way. It it is every year, every couple of years, whatever it is, these ebbs and flows, adjustments, readjustments. Now this is emphasized. Now this is uh, an inefficiency that you can take advantage of. And that's really what it is. Like you can never be comfortable in where you're sitting. You can be the Rams there for a couple of years and go, wow, we're right on the cutting edge right now. We are really pushing this. You can't stay there. You and I'm not saying they were. I'm just, don't don't get. Don't. But I think they. But I think they went. Do you think they were a little bit? No, no, I don't think they oh. were. I think that they thought because you. I heard this when they traded Fallon Robinson, who I I think was one of the bright spots in in Sunday's game. By the yeah, way, um, one of the few anyway. Cooper Cup doing his his normal Cooper Cup stuff, but also like Allen Robinson making some really tough catches, including on third down. But when they went after him, it was because they thought. And they believe that teams would start to play them the way that they sort of were playing them 
closer to the Super Bowl when they had Odell Beckham uh-huh. and doing a lot of those different types of things when really the way teams are are playing them is daring them to run the ball. Yeah. Like it reverted so much to something that they and and they got through all of these games last year without any semblance of a run game. Right. I mean it was it like November they figured it out because they had extra you know, tackles and extra linemen, something that they don't have this year because they've run out of people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't go heavy personnel because they quite literally just don't have people that they don't have anybody. They're all playing starting roles because they're so injured. And so now, you know, you kind of you you take this swing in one direction thinking that it's going to be the the trajectory of the league will continue along the arc. But instead, it didn't go it didn't move slowly. It went crazy hyperspeed fast. And I think part of that is because so many teams got involved, not just playing this type of defense, but also in getting so involved in the trade market, like all of a sudden it picked everything up so fast. And now we're almost like staring at the precipice of a brand new era Hmm. in philosophy of team building and philosophy of scheme. And it happened way faster than I think anybody expected it. But that's what happens when you do all of these things at once. When you are a catalyst team, you yeah. do all of these things together at once, and then you go and win the Super Bowl. Yeah, that that's the jump start. That's the electric shock. And for me, it's like you're watching. I'm like you, this team that was so quick to pivot and to change. All of a sudden, we're dealt this slew of injuries that they sort of were like overwhelmed by. And as they start to get their heads above water again, they're looking around. The league looks entirely different maybe than what they thought it was going to look like. Yeah. And, and they just, they, like you said, they don't have the pieces to adjust quickly here. I mean, they, they can't, they can't pivot to a run game right now, even if they wanted to, it's, it's just not there. The linemen aren't there. And, and quite frankly, the backs aren't there. I mean, we didn't, we haven't mentioned, I mean, Cam Akers obviously, made his return in this game and uh, you know i there look there's a lot going on there the guy hadn't played for two weeks i don't know i'm not even going to try to speculate on how he was feeling or how equipped he was let's just face it it didn't look good out there and i noticed george it's i know you were you were um in the press box obviously i was here watching on tv when sean came back for to start the third quarter they do the little uh they do the little interview with him. I, I think it was Tracy Wolfson. I'm not, I can't be completely sure who it was, but um, asked him about it. And Sean said something to the effect of, we can't be having these two yard runs. And I, and it kind of clicked something in my brain. And I went and looked at my notes real quick and I got, Hmm, let me see runs here. Uh, Daryl Henderson, three, four, three, five, Cam Akers, two, Cam Akers, two. And I'm like, man, Sean is like, he, he's he got this in his head. Like he's thinking two yard runs and he's thinking about Cam Akers because that's exactly what was going on there. And Jordan, not not to pivot too, too quickly, too, too um, dramatically, but, but it just, that got in my head a little bit because People want to talk about what happened at the end of the game, right? Um, in in terms of the offense and the way that they handled that sequence. Okay, the Rams got the ball just just to just to set the table here uh, real quickly. The Rams were leading thirteen to nine. They got the ball back with a minute and forty five seconds at their own seven yard line after um, an, an incomplete pass. It, it, I almost said interception. It was it was it could have been an interception. Uh, they needed one first down to win the game. And there's a lot of debate there about what they should have done. Uh, what Sean McVay chose to do was basically to run the ball three times. 
hoped that he got a first down. As it turns out, they did not. They did force Tampa Bay to take their last two timeouts, gave them the ball back at their own 40-yard line with, uh, what was the time left? 44 seconds left. That, to me, I know there's a lot of debate about that. I know there's a lot of people who said, you know, what was he doing? He wasn't aggressive enough. He should have been throwing the ball. All they needed was one first down. Honestly, Jordan, I I get I want to know how you feel about that. I understand both sides of that, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I understand the argument of you throw the ball to win the game. I also understand the the argument of you play the odds and you're you're giving you're making the other team go 60 yards in 44 seconds without any without any timeouts. Most of the time that's going to work out in your favor. It did not in this case. What bothered me, Jordan, actually was the previous drive. And what happened there was the Rams got the ball. They uh, Tampa had just kicked a field goal to make it 13 to nine. The Rams got the ball back with about eight minutes left on their own 22. They had cam in the game and they gave him the ball and he just got swallowed up for a two yard loss. Yeah. And so there you are again, that's your first down play. That's ineffective. You're behind the sticks you're you're just you put yourself in a bad situation and I looked at the context of that game and I said you know it's not that Daryl Henderson was running the ball magically he was not a hundred yard rusher in that game but he was for the most part going straight ahead one thing you can count on with Daryl is no matter what's going on he's going to put his head down and he's going to push forward he might not be the most graceful guy back there at times but but he's going to he's going to lean into contact and he's going to make you earn your tackle and the one thing that i thought in that situation is why isn't he in the game getting that carry why is cam akers in the game who quite frankly to me jordan looked a little tentative he was not hitting the line of scrimmage with authority at times he looked like he was decelerating by the time he got to the line of scrimmage and he was trying to throw a couple shoulder fakes it just wasn't working and that put them behind the sticks and they followed that up with a jet sweep that was to me really predictable like i you saw cooper cup go and motion and I like jet sweep popped into my head immediately and then on third down you get a sack um, and you give Tampa the ball back and they and they start to get some momentum so Jordan I, I don't know I don't know how you how you processed all of that I just didn't think I, I thought you could make a fair argument either way about how the last sequence was handled um, but I, I didn't like the way that that second to last sequence is handled. And then I know we're going to talk about the defense, too. So, uh, so sorry if I got off on a tangent there. No, it no, just, it's it, important. It, it's important. Yeah, it just, it just I, I thought of it in the context of like what they can accomplish with this offense. Yeah, it's important because, OK, so if you're we've been talking about this for a couple of years now, Rich. There's a reason why you're not just saying, okay, Daryl Henderson, you are our lead running back. You are, we're going to run everything behind you. You're our guy. You're going to be on the field as much as possible. I mean, you're even seeing it when there's known passing situations and they're having, you know, they're subbing in Malcolm Brown because you know that, okay, so he's got to pass protect. You know what I mean? Like stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And it's not to say that Daryl, it has not, you know, has been consistently a bad player in pass pro. It's just that they're thinking, okay, plant more of a plan. A player in that type of situation was probably be Malcolm Brown, particularly when you're already setting up with negative down and distances, 
which means that the opposite pass rush can pin their ears back and really get after you, which sets up situationally the entire landscape of what you're calling and essentially puts one arm behind your back when you're the play caller and you're looking at the call sheet, especially because you know that rush is coming, especially because you know it's probably coming right where, you know, up that left side and you got to get someone in there. And and so that, but, but to my point, like, We've talked about this for a while, whether it was has been health or whether it's been situational stuff, like there's a reason why they haven't just said, because for three years, Rich, this committee approach has not worked. It hasn't worked. Right. But it's like, and that's, you know, Cooper, it's, you know, the, my column, the theme of my column and, and Cooper Cup's <laughs> comments, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. That's true. And mm-hmm. that's, this is the definition of insanity, but when you add the variable of like, well, maybe they can't do everything they want to do with just one player, right? That's the only reason why you would see them banging their heads against the wall over like professionals in this business, banging their heads against the wall over and over and over and over again, and swapping out their running backs with such high frequency is because they don't feel completely confident in what they can accomplish behind one running back in a lead role. And situational context and all of these things factor into it. And of course, the caveat always is the offensive line factors into this as well. But it's it's fascinating to me. You can kind of read between the lines on some of this stuff. And just to reiterate, because some stuff got lost in translation, I think, the other week when we were talking about like the 2-2 Atwell situation, for example, just to be very, very clear, like, I'm not reporting this as a fact or a sourced report. This is me being a journalist and a reporter and someone in the building every day and reading behind the lines or between the lines. When I asked Matthew Stafford if he had the autonomy to change that sweep call or if he had the auto- has the autonomy to like disagree with it, mm-hmm. when we were talking to him post-game um, Sunday night, he sort of took the stance that that was one of the most efficient runs they had run all day. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, so the subtext here is not happy with the backs, not happy with the offensive line in the traditional run game. And right. and I think you can see that in the way that they're game planning this run, this run game and going away from it so frequently. Now, I don't think that's all, you know, player based. I think that Sean McVay uh, needs to run the dang ball in the red zone um, after Daryl Henderson breaks off 33 yards over two carries. And I made that clear over on Twitter the, on Sunday yes. night, as I know you did too, but I beat you on it. You did. Um, I but I, I got to tell you, like they're in a committee because there's a reason they're in a committee. There's a reason why when Cam Akers is out of the building, Ronnie, you know, Daryl was ill. Yes. Um, but there's a reason why they keep, for running backs up on the roster. Right. Um, even after Daryl is back and 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 not sick anymore. And and there's a reason why they have Malcolm Brown, and there's a reason why they they had Ronnie Rivers um up and active. And some of it was special teams, yes, but there's a reason why they haven't made any one person their lead back with Cam. That whole situation has unfolded over the last couple of weeks. But also, you know, it's not just that. It's not just that. And, 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 and Cooper cup was, was very frustrated post game talking about, you need to average 3.3333 infinity yards per play over the course of three plays. You need 10 yards to seal out the game. Now, in terms of the sweep call, like I can see why they ran it. And I can also see why 
it's frustrating. Like, because in a vacuum, if you can run the ball effectively and well in that situation in order to stop the, in order to keep the clock running, I mean, then you should every single time you should, right. You protect the football that way. You, uh, especially your, your offensive line getting abused the way that it was, especially up that left side. Like you, you know, you're, you're making sure that you're just in risk mitigation mode. The thing that was, I think a factor in that call itself was the fact that, um, yes, they were on the friendly side of the two minute, but Tampa Bay still had a timeout. Right. And so I think when Cooper Cup slides, it, it's very risky to run a sweep in that situation because you're literally running toward the sideline. Right. And if you get pushed out of the sideline, then the clock stops. So that's why I think right. it's fair to be frustrated about that call in general. Right. But where I could see them thinking this would be maybe better executed is because maybe he puts his foot in the ground and cuts up field and gets the first down and then slides down. Right. And then, you know, or maybe, or they're sitting there thinking, okay, well, maybe you get uh, six yards on this and you slide down and then you force them to burn your time out. And then you run a successful play on like a third and three or a third and four. Now you don't want right. to cut it that close. You don't want to risk it that much. And, you know, you could also make the argument that he should have fought for the the conversion and versus sliding down. But I genuinely think that in the heat of that moment, you're staring at that other timeout and you're thinking to yourself, I need to get this team to burn that last timeout. Right. And so whether they overthought it or whether or not, the problem remains, you can't get 10 yards on three rushing plays. That's a problem. You cannot ice the game out. That's a huge, huge problem. Right. And I'm not making excuses for that just catastrophic defensive collapse on the other side, right. not making excuses for that at all. However, you are now putting your defense in a total sudden change situation and a total like quote unquote scramble drill because Tom Brady is going tempo on the other side. You can't sub in and out. You can't right. get calls in. You can't do anything. You can't get set up the way that you want to be set up. So you're in super, super conservative prevent mode. And then you see what happens at the end. So yeah. it's it, it just was... I I understand that if you can't run up the middle because Daryl gets stopped and you can't move the line of scrimmage and Cooper Cup even said you need to be able to find a way to move the line of scrimmage and they couldn't. Mm. And yeah. you know, uh Brian Allen was strong in his comments post game saying if we don't have people who are willing to go and do that, I'm paraphrasing slightly, then we got to go find the guys who are willing to do that. And it's it's those types of things where it it comes down to um, personnel execution. Yes, it comes down to call. And I think Sean McVay is right to include himself in that sort of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. um, but I could see why they're like, well, we have to run the ball because we're in risk mitigation mode because Matthew Stafford has turned the ball over among the most of quarterbacks right. in the league, if not the most. I, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but he's turned the ball over, particularly within their, the Rams own, you know, 15 to 30 yard line. That's where he threw the majority of his pick sixes last season. Right. Right. So you're also thinking to yourself, okay, you need risk mitigation. The pass pro isn't working. You know, it's, it's a whole combination of things that probably lead to that type of call. Let's see if we can run up the middle and then create some extra space for ourselves because we're going to bounce around the outside on the next call. Right. The, the ultimate at the end of the day, the issue is, that the game should should have been over in that moment. The game should absolutely have been iced out. Previous versions of this team iced that game out no problem, yeah. regardless of you know 
how weird these games have gotten, you still have that foot on the gas sort of mentality going to go force this thing to happen, spike the football down and scream into the void kind of, you know, soul stealing <laughs> situation. And you still have that vibe, right? That That is not, that doesn't exist this year. And it gets stuffed on the, on the, you know, get stuffed on the line of scrimmage. Right. And that's the the key difference to me, Jordan. Like so I, like that jet sweep play. And I think I, I I wish I could pull it up instantly to watch it. But, you know, you, you talked about putting your foot in the ground and, and making a cut. I, I think it even got more complicated for them. I think it was Higby out there uh, on the edge and he ended up making the block, but the, he forced it so or the defender forced it so that Cooper had to even take a wider turn than than he wanted. I mean, just to avoid the the defender there to take advantage of that block, he had to go even wider than he wanted to, uh, which certainly didn't help. I do think total hindsight, total 2020 sitting from your couch. I do think Cooper could have either pushed for a few more yards or even potentially tried to cut it back upfield a little bit. Um, he went to that slide pretty quickly. And I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, I got to stay in bounds. And that's absolutely the right thing to think. I, I'm just not sure that the execution there was exactly the way that he would want it if he could do it again. Um, but the problem then becomes third and five, right? And this is where I get a lot of people saying, like, how can you not throw the ball on third, on third and five? How can you not do this? Okay, well, you've got 54 seconds on the clock at that point. I think what you have to, the, to me, Jordan, the thing that you have to weigh is what are, at this point, what are you more likely, how are you more likely to win the game? Are you more likely to win the game by running the ball, forcing Tampa Bay to take their time out, leaving 44 seconds on the clock and forcing them to go 30, uh, 60 yards without a timeout? Are you more likely to win that way? Or are you more likely to win with Matthew Stafford completing a five-yard pass on third and five? And for the, well, for the entirety of last season and for most of Sean McVay's tenure, you would say, well, of course it's the third and five pass. Of course you would you would put the ball in Matthew Stafford's hands on third and five. But would you truly be confident in that right now, knowing how quickly, that how, how little protection this guy has, knowing that they'd be bringing... Uh, whatever they need to bring or how confident are you? How confident are you that, that you're going to complete that pass on third and five. And then if you don't, then you've left them 54 seconds and they have a timeout. And that, that to me kind of speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Jordan is just this feeling of uh, to me watching it, not as a Rams fan, but just as somebody uh, objectively watching this game. I don't feel that confidence. I don't feel that confidence that they're going to convert the third and five in that situation. I feel more confident, quite frankly, that they're going to punt the ball away and get a stop on defense. And I, that speaks to me really about a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Just don't feel that confidence. You don't feel that spark. You don't feel that we're going to take this game by the throat right now and we're going to do whatever we need to do to convert this third down. Just don't feel it. And, and I have to think that as Sean McVay is running through that scenario in his head, he probably had to think some of the same thing. Hey, we could win the ball. We could win the game here if we throw the ball here and convert a third down. But eh, given the way everything's going, I feel more comfortable kicking it back to them and hoping that my defense is going to get a stop. Obviously, it didn't work out, but I can understand why somebody would think that way. Yeah, but it's that's where you get into like the chicken and the egg argument because you're like, no where, where did the sort of that, like I said, where did that soul stealing 
mindset go? Where did that like right. Matthew Stafford, the guy who wants the ball in his hands at the end of the Tampa Bay game in the playoffs, at the end of the 49ers game in the NFC championship game, at the end of the Super Bowl right. with like Cooper Cup and, and you know, just some guys, right, to make plays <laughs> to. And right. um, I think like at that point, you're looking at just an atrocious fourth quarter. First of all, Rams have been outscored 71 to 10 in oh. fourth quarters uh, yes. through the first eight games and historic low in the Sean McVay era through the first eight games of the year. And Ten also, points. yeah. And also they're averaging 3.7 yards per offensive play through that game, through the game at that point, And even less in the fourth quarter, because at, at a certain point, they had like minus two yards in the fourth quarter. Yes. And it, it, it goes back to just, it, it goes back to a lot of different types of missed opportunities. You know, you think back to that really beautiful deep ball to Van Jefferson that he drops. Um, you think back to um, that missed opportunity in the red zone where they settle for a field goal instead mm-hmm. of getting a touchdown after they throw it three times and then fail to get the score. Um on a series of uh, uh, either, um, you know, complete pressure breakdown uh, and then Matthew Stafford working out of structure and then he skips the ball off the grass to a wide open Ben Skoranek, um, who's also working out of structure to try to get open in the end zone. Um, you're just looking at really low probability stuff. And then you're on the other side of it, you know, at a certain point, this, you can't, Jalen Ramsey sort of, alluded to this and a couple of the guys sort of alluded to this, like you, if you're the, the Rams defense, you hold Tom Brady to something like 52 throws without a single touchdown and a, a variety of run plays, by the way, which the Rams are stopping to such great effect that the Bucks crowd was booing every single time the Bucks ran the ball. Seriously. You could, you could hear it on TV. Not I mean, kidding. And it. on yeah. first down yeah. runs, especially like not kidding you. They were booing every single time, like voraciously booing um, every single time that the Bucks ran the ball and holding them with no touchdowns. But if you get into a sudden change situation, like the one that they forced their defense into, and again, guys, when I say this, I'm not excusing that it was a catastrophic breakdown. No, it should never in, happen. It in prevent. It was like the loosest prevent one ever did see, right? Like it was, <laughs> it was not good, but in part of it, like, first of all, you are always playing prevent in that situation. Like you're right. not playing press. Like I don't, I'm not even going to get into that. You're always playing prevent. That was too loose of a prevent. And part of it was because they couldn't sub out and they couldn't get their calls in because Tom Brady was moving the ball too fast. Yeah. So that's, that's a part of it. And, you know, it doesn't excuse what happened. And it was, like I said, a catastrophic collapse right there at the end, but every single person in that locker room, every single person on that coaching staff Every single person in that front office, they would say the same thing in that it should never have happened in the first place. And, you know, Rich, we've talked about this magic number all the time. And going back again, going back to 2020, they said, you know, 20 points. This defense can hold an opposing offense to 20 points per game. This offense should be able to put together enough yards, enough points, hell, squeaking to enough field goals throughout the course of a game, sustain enough drives in right. order to edge pass, win the football game, even if it's 21-20. Right. Well, the Rams are averaging 16.3 points per game, hmm. the Rams offense. 
The defense is holding opponents to something like 17.1. I have it somewhere in my column. I might have the decimal point wrong, but it's like around right. seven, 17 points per game. Right. 17.8 points per game. In the fourth quarter, the Rams are scoring on average 1.25 points per quarter. That's just not sustainable. No. And the best defensive team in the league in terms of scoring allowed, like, particularly defensive points allowed is Buffalo and it's 14.7. So there's about a field goal in difference between the Rams, which are ranked sixth in terms of defensive points allowed in the NFL and the best defense in the NFL, arguably the best defense in the NFL in Buffalo, certainly the best defense in points allowed per game. There's about a field goal of difference between those two teams. And yet, and yet the major, major, skewing here is because the offense cannot put drives together. They cannot sustain drives. And like we reiterate over and over and over again, no, it does not mean that this scheme is perfect. It is quite clear that they cannot trust some of their defensive backs to press down a little bit closer to the line line of scrimmage. You saw at the beginning of the game, Troy Hill and Jalen Ramsey were both in the slot. Like like Jalen was yeah. playing like some sort of, I mean, I know it was a star, but it was like some sort of like inside linebacker, dropped safety, slot corner hybrid position. And Troy Hill was playing in the nickel and they were both underneath and they were pressing down on some of the quick throws. And you mm-hmm. saw them press down on the quick throws. Troy Hill's near pick. He's pressed down mm-hmm. really tight in a match route situation. And he's on a third and two and he's nearly taking that to the house and he should have held on to it. And he will say that himself. And he should have held on to it and, and taken it for six. Um, but that's that's what it is. When you have slot guys who can cover underneath and mitigate those quick throws, when you're not sending Bobby Wagner on third and seven in a manufactured blitz, thereby leaving part of the middle of the seam wide open, and he's not getting there because it, Tom Brady gets it out just a little bit quicker than the pressure, and it's a conversion on a third and seven. Like, if you have four that can pressure – and you saw it in a couple of those third downs when the defense really started to to tighten up and and really get you know find itself a little bit after those consecutive three and outs. Right. Him skip the ball into the dirt on those third downs. Him skip the ball into the dirt when they're getting press, some pressure with four. When they're tightening down, especially some of the slot players, the slot stuff that they do, and and jumping those routes. But it's also quite clear that they cannot. They simply cannot, especially when they don't have a substantial enough lead. Especially when the offense is going three and out with such high frequency eight, eight three and outs in twelve drives. It's, Excuse yeah. me, in twelve possessions minus a kneel down. And minus the end of game, a uh, little uh, desperation yeah. play, <laughs> right. like eight three and outs by this Rams offense. And I just really don't know what you want to do on that in that case if you're the defense because you're also playing with one hand tied behind your back. You can't be, you can't, you have to be have limits to your own aggression because you cannot give up a, an explosive play or a touchdown on the other side. Otherwise, it flips the entire plan, and and now you're not only your offense can't sustain drives themselves, but they're playing from behind. And it's just like, and we say this all the time, it's like it does not excuse the fact that they clearly are not getting good enough pressure consistently with four. And it doesn't excuse the fact that they are playing with a substantial cushion. And I know that it drives people crazy, but it's also quite clear that they cannot trust some of those players on the back end Mm -hmm. to press down closer. And you saw, you saw why 
You saw why yeah. when all the calls and all the scheme went out the window and they're in a sudden change scramble drill situation, you see. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of potential there and there's a lot of, um, you know, really solid, good young players who fight hard, but they're not getting any help on the other side of the ball. And it's like that, that idea yeah. of just not that bargain that they made in 2020 when they sit there and they turn to the offensive head coach and say, can you score at right. least 21 points per game? And they're not holding up their end of the bargain. It's complimentary, and that's not, the, the offense is not complimenting the defense the way that it needs to. And that, again, we'll say it until both of our faces turn blue, but that's it, not ex- excusing mistakes that are made on defense. But that that's the way this defense was constructed. The task that it was given was to play a certain way and hold itself to a certain standard, and the offense was supposed to hold up its end of the bargain, and it's just not happening. Uh, so there's only so much that you can do there. Uh, Jordan, I, I think everything you said is spot on. I would just, uh, you know, again, I, I know you're in the press box for some of this stuff. Tony Romo is just, I, I, I want to watch the game again to 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 uh, get a little clicker and see how many times he, he mentioned the words soft coverage. I mean, it had to be close to 50. I mean, every other play he was saying soft coverage, soft coverage, soft coverage, but he wasn't being critical about it. He was, he no, was that's just what it is. Yeah. yeah he was illustrating what, what, yeah, what was going on. And I hope I'm sure Rams fans were getting their blood pressure was probably going through the roof when they kept hearing that. But I hope they also heard the one instance in which Tony said, I, I don't remember which play it was, but but he noted almost in, instantly that, that when the Rams did come down, I think it was a second down or third down play, and and they did come down and press a little bit. Tony in, noticed instantly. He's going, yeah, they're they're calling a go route right now, like because they 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 see it and they go, okay, they, you want to come press us with some of these DBs that you have we're, we're going to take our shot now. And, and that's why they do some of this. And by the way, some of this stuff too, like we can talk about the scheme all we want and it's certainly fair. You know, we've, we've talked about some needs for adjustments and some of the, the negatives that go along with, with playing this way. And there, there are certain negatives that go along with it. There's a lot of mistakes that were made that had nothing to do with scheme. Uh, you look at the Rams are up 13 to six, uh, midway through the fourth quarter. Third and 20, Tampa Bay is facing from midfield. They throw one of those Sean McVay, like, let's just try to, let's do something to try to get some yards here. They swing it out to Fournette. And again, I'm not, I'm sorry to single out one person. Kendrick has nothing but field between him and Fournette and doesn't even, I don't even think he got a fingertip on him. Like just went right, and, and Fournette goes and picks up uh, 16 yards, and they they still need to kick the field goal there, but they got in field goal range because of that. If if they wrap that up, they probably have to punt, or at least they have to go for it on a long fourth down. They ended up getting three points because of that. So a couple other notes I made. I'm not going to go into the the details right now, but miscommunications. I mean, they they called it out on the broadcast. You know, on that last touchdown. You know, not everybody's eyes were in the backfield, and and the the tight end uh, came right out. Uh, there was the the play to start that drive where Otten somehow found a seam. I, I couldn't see it because they don't show the all twenty two. Obviously, yeah. No, but, I was watching that one. Yeah, what Total- happened? Total when they have that seam, total, total breakdown in in communication. And again, that's why I bring up the tempo and that's why I bring up the idea of the sudden change, because it was like nobody looked like they even had like their footing in general on that. Like it was total, total breakdown in in both communication and execution. And um, 
And yeah, and I think too, I mean, you're even looking at, and it goes back to the idea of complimentary football. You're even looking at, I mean, for God's sake, they put Bobby Wagner on special teams <laughs> on the field goal unit to try yes. to get a spark because like the defense or the defensive players now are in this mode where it's quite clear. They feel this sense of, well, you've got to do everything now mm-hmm. because the Rams were offense was going three and out with such high frequency and these negative plays and some of these sacks and, and all of these things. And, and it's crazy to me because you Jalen Ramsey mentioned this post game where you, they're on, they're sitting there on the sideline and he says it's happened so many times before. They're sitting there on the sideline and coaches will come up to them and be like, nice job, guys. All right, get ready to go back out there again. And I'm like, how is that? That's not sustainable. Well, but you're yeah. sitting there and you're like, and and Bobby Wagner's on special teams. Okay, so he leaps clean over the snapper, like little one of those little box jump, tuck knees, like just amazing. leaps clean over the snapper and then bounces yeah. again. Right. gets a hand on the ball for right. the field goal try and then comes up with the fumble recovery himself. Right. And then the Rams go three and, three out, and out on the other side of that with great, with great field position. Yeah. They they were at their 40. Yep. They, they had to drive 60 yards or even less than that to get a field goal. Mm-hmm. And they and go three, three this is a three point game. Yeah. They could have yeah. gotten a field and, and, and the whole game changes and then they yeah. go three and out on the other side. I mean, it's just, or, or look at the end of the game. I mean, near the end of the game, right? I mean, we're talking about what happened on that last Tampa Bay drive, but the second to last drive, they drive down to the seven and the Rams get a stop. I mean, it's first and goal on the seven and and they forced the stop and they almost had an interception there. And you could see the excitement, you know, like guys were jumping around like we did, you know, like we stopped them, we stopped them. And then in the back of my head, I'm sitting there going, uh, you guys like. That's what I'm saying. I got yeah. I had no goosebumps. I had no goosebumps. I had no hair on the back of my neck. I felt nothing but that sort of that creeping right numbness that like fog over the grass right that's like something awful to these guys is about to happen right and again as we've said now three or four times it does not excuse that does not mean it's okay to allow a 60 yard drive in the final minute but it gives you some context in terms of what these like you you keep going out there it's like oh my gosh we just stopped a first and goal from the seven like we you know we did something remarkable here all the offense has to do is give us one first down and we can fly home happy but you know they're on the sideline for one minute and then hey guys now you got to go back in and do it again like it's just mm-hmm. it has to wear on you and again it doesn't mean you don't do your job it doesn't mean you don't communicate or whatever no of course not that's not what we're saying but it's gotta wear on you when it just happens time and time again nine first downs in the entire game um that is also an all-time low uh in sean mcveigh's tenure as a head coach and when i say they're on a precipice which we opened this entire podcast with saying when i say they're on a precipice i also mean in 2020 you could start to see signs of this team splitting apart I wrote about this after they traded Jared Goff in that column the night of that I wrote about. And I said there was some dis, dis, you know, dissent or like some grumbling in the locker room because they felt that the offense was not holding up their end of the bargain. And there was some feelings like uh, Sean McVay was being too protective of Jared. And by the way, good for the Detroit Lions and Jared Goff, by the way, like a solid, yeah. solid weekend over by those guys um, Yeah, no kidding. Uh, on a side note. But on a more serious note, they seem to be at a precipice here where are they going to learn from the mistakes that they had that they made in the past in terms of 
Um, and I'm not saying it was a mistake to trade for Matthew Stafford. That actually no. was a really solid move, guys. Um, yeah. But what I'm saying is, are you going to, when you say you're going to look inward, what is that inclusive of? When you say you're going to really make sure that people are staying connected, are you just saying that or how are you actually executing it? You have quietly now started reshuffling your coaching staff a little mm-hmm. bit, broadening Thomas Brown's responsibilities as assistant head coach, which um, seems strange to me that this is happening now when as an assistant head coach, I feel like you should probably have that person have those responsibilities in the first place, but Mm. it's a good thing to cite now as a problem solving tactic, I guess. But I think that like, you know, they're sort of reshuffling quietly on, on that side of things. They're sort of, um, how are you, are, are you cohesive internally? I asked Sean McVay directly, are, do you feel like today, do you feel like you have that positive communication for connectivity, um, you know, today? And he said, he, he does think that. And he said he does think that they have that, you know, they can stay connected and they have that communication and that honesty with each other. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is really the underbelly of what the season could or could not be. They're going to have injuries. Guys are going to come back. They'll probably get more injuries. Like they're going to, they're really going to have to scratch and claw and fight. Can they do it together? Can they do it cohesively not just in the locker room because these players are in it with each other. And ultimately any wounds heal when you're in, in quote unquote battle with people, right. but are you cohesive on the coaching side? Are you cohesive between the way that you're communicating holistically throughout the entire building? Right. Are you delegating? Are you, are people, um, ha- do, are people getting voices to problem solve? And are those things being tried and troubleshot instead of sort of, the frenetic pace of what it is to game plan in the national football league every single week, which is breakneck speed. And and quite frankly, seems like just anxiety on a stick, but are those things happening? Because that to me, not taking the extra steps now to make sure that those things are okay, that those, those have substantial, that those types of, of um, frustrations have substantial and recognizable solves Versus sort of patches placed on them or little, um, you know, quick fixes at the, you know, that you see all around the facilities up there in Thousand Oaks, like that they have actual substance underneath them, because that will, to me, tell the story, not just of where the Rams are now, but where they can go moving forward in terms of problem solving. And I do agree. It will take a lot of looking inward. And I think it will also require some guys stepping forward as different types of leaders, Okay, you know, different types of voices in that locker room and on that coaching staff stepping forward and emerging as leaders. And I think that will be really important moving forward. Yeah, and and almost a perfect way to end here, because I I think that sums it up so nicely to to where we started, which is that you can put a different left guard in there And okay, maybe you'll get 50 percent, maybe you'll get 75 percent better play out of whoever that is. That's not the issue here. I mean, that that's the, that's the Band-Aid that we're talking about, right? I mean, that's not going to solve every one of the Rams' problems here. They need to make sure that, as you said, holistically, they are on the same page here. Like, and, and they've, by the way, they've, they've burned through their bye week. There's no natural stopping point now to where they can stop and take a breath and reassess. And they had that chance. And quite frankly, they've come out of it 
with two pretty bad looking games on the offensive side of it. So you don't have that chance anymore. You're, you're right. You're in game week immediately. Um, that's where you need to rely on your leaders. And, uh, you know, Sean has led this team to a Super Bowl. He's led this team to extraordinary heights over the last five years. But uh, this this is a challenge. And if they're going to pull out of this midseason, it's not impossible. Three and five. They've got a lot of conference games left, a lot of division games left. It's not impossible, but they're done. They're They're done with their margin for error. There's no more games to give away. There's no more uh, mistakes that can be made. I mean, they need to be on the screws starting this Sunday against Arizona, or this is just going to end up being a lost season. Yeah, they've got to take this game. They've got to get at least one. They'd probably hope for two against the Seattle team that's looking a lot better than anyone expected them. And yes. again, Doing that, they're they're they've switched into this new new era of defense on on one side, and then that's finally coming along. Remember in twenty twenty under Brandon Staley, it took a few games for this thing to really kind of emerge into what it was going to be. So now they've emerged in that regard over in Seattle. Um, they're running the ball. Uh, really yeah. tough yards are being gotten uh, by that team. They're doing things um, very sort of uh, you know the quarterbacks playing really solid. Geno Smith, so. A Seattle team that's, you know, like I said, you know, in the middle of this podcast, certain arcs of the league have come or come about rather more quickly than I think, you know, people who are studying this in that front office are or, you know, in, in terms of the coaching staff or the, the philosophical changes like than they're expecting. And now what will you do with that? Well, you've got, you've definitely got to stay competitive in the NFC West and you've got to at least take a couple um, down the road here and you've got to try to stay competitive, not just for the sake of, you know, your season, but also for the sake of a lot of these players in the building, players that are edging to the ends of their, you know, maybe yeah. their, t- their tenures or their contracts, players who you'd very much like to have around for a future push, um, right. you know, in terms of, you know, I, I would fully expect the Rams to be extremely aggressive in some of the changes they make this offseason. They certainly will not. Um, I think they certainly will not keep certain guys around who are at the end of their contracts either. And so you're you're going to be looking at big changes here, um, but they don't you don't want to go into that on the heels of a very disheartening season where people are maybe second guessing, um, you know, why they're here in the first place. Ooh, it's a, it's a lot, Jordan. Right? And certainly, we didn't think we were, we would be talking about these things. Uh, I know. I did not. Have, yeah, neither of us. I, I think saw the season going. Not at all. No, I remember being on a show after the, the after the Buffalo game, and I said something to the. I'm not afraid to admit this. I said something to the effect of, "Yeah, I mean." The, you know, they've got some challenges here, but I don't see, you know, I don't see this turning into like a 10 and seven season. And now you look at it and you go, well, 10, 10 and, seven, and seven, that'd be great. That's pretty, yeah. pretty good. You'd, you'd <laughs> run with that right now. So I, I'm not ashamed to say and that. And it's I around actually, the league too, Rich. I think that's the other oh, thing. Yeah. I think we all, and I think fans too, like everyone gets in the bubble of like, this is the biggest thing happening on the planet right now. And it certainly is not. I, I don't take away from the impact that it has on the people's lives who are in it. But, you know, the rest of the the league, the NFC is a mess. The rest of the league is a mess. Um, the, really the AFC, is. the AFC that, you know, the what is it? The West that we thought was going to be crazy is a mess. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of those things. So I think, you know, 
there's still, I think there's still hope if we want to end this on a positive note. Um, and you guys can maybe rage scream off air if that makes you feel better. <laughs> totally respect that and fully support you in that decision. Um, but I think there's still hope. I don't think this season is over. I kind of sort of looked to um, in the locker room. There was like this just sort of er- permeating sense of calm from um, certain leaders. Um, you know, it was a pissed off calm. But in terms of, you know, guys like Rob Havenstein, Bobby Wagner, sort of that that fortitude of, you know, Bobby basically indicated like, hey, man, I've been through worse. Uh, great teams are forged in adversity. And so yeah. I think this this that's why I say this is a I don't know if press a press a pistol, press a piece, press a this uh, this week marks a precipice. Yes. In the Rams. <laughs> We're gonna skim right over that one. I'll have, to, um, I'll have to try that one out on Spelling Bee on the New on the New York Times app to see if I can get. Uh, like yeah, that was one of my of uh, that yeah. was one of my larger uh, ver- verbal failures on this podcast. No, I, I, you got you got to take your swings. You got You got to go for it. So I think that this is going to mark a really pivotal time. You know what they do yeah. out of these two losses and and what they do out of this week and and into the rest of their season. And again. Something about this team, man, they can never do it when it's the bye week. Like, I don't know what the yeah. heck they're doing. Like, they just can <laughs> never really, like, gather themselves. It's got to it's got to just be extra chaotic. Right. So but we'll see how it goes. And and as always, you know, we're going to have you guys covered every single step of the way, uh, you know, for, for better or for worse. And certainly didn't expect uh, the for worse parts to be emerging so quickly here. <laughs> no, we did not. But uh, yeah, you, I know you mentioned your column in passing a bit earlier, but uh, everybody needs to go check that out if they haven't already. Great breakdown on especially what's um, going on with this offense and and uh, why the frustration is building exactly inside the locker room and outside the locker room. So great job with that, Jordan. Tough game. Tough game to write off of. I know how those go. And uh, uh, it's there's, there's a lot going on and a lot to fit into one column. But the, the good news is for everybody, not only can you read that column, but uh, Jordan's not going anywhere. She's going to be uh, covering this uh, evolving story throughout. So we thank all of our subscribers. Appreciate you so much. And uh, if you're not already on board, please join us. You can get all of Jordan's great coverage, all of our great coverage across the board. Very simple. Right now, theathletic.com slash 11 personnel. Sign up and make Jordan happy by getting her favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A great discount, you guys. Every single time you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. Guys, I know that after games like this and after the 49ers game, tensions are high, but I truly, truly hope uh, that you guys are being good to each other out there, that you're being good to yourselves. Um, You know, everybody's in problem-solving mode right now, and I'm excited to be uh, along the journey to try to um, pull it threads and, um, you know, get, get get your... questions on Twitter and beyond um, answered and doing the very best I can uh, to be the best beat writer for you guys. So appreciate all of you guys following along. Make sure you're staying hydrated, caffeinated. See you next week.